Hello and welcome to the OT Podcast Club podcast. For this episode, we listened to the OT and Chill episode 11, L-O-V-E, Let's Talk About Race. Recorded in response to the Black Lives Matters movement this summer, the episode brings forward the experiences and thoughts of black and minority ethnic background occupational therapists. These are edited highlights of our conversation, exploring our own heritages and the influence of those on our experiences, as well as thoughts we've had about these conversations and ideas for how to move those thoughts forward into actions. All right, so if we um, start the focus on this evening's podcast, which was the OT and chill one, I generally have a really um, open start for it, but sometimes I've found that it helps to have a starter to that conversation. Um, And one of the things that I've thought about is um, when we said we were going to do this as a podcast, Kwaku put back, thank you for continuing the conversation. And that's what the podcast was originally called. And within it, when I've listened to it, there's themes where it talks about actually talking about race can actually be a difficult conversation for us. And I wondered if that was somewhere where we wanted to start. You've kept it easy for a starter then. (laughs) I think I'd like to hear some of my white allies here as to why you think that it is a difficult conversation. I think um, it's been part of a lot of, of sort of discussions we've had at home because we're all sort of here with all this these things going on on a global level the discussions at home have been around I guess it's that it's that wanting to not get it wrong I don't know a, a fear of getting it wrong a fear of um, assumptions a fear of almost in without intending to belittling situations or minimizing situations because of um, I suppose for me it's getting my head around my privilege and that's been that's been the really stark thing over the last few months is actually confronting that privilege after half a decade on this planet and feeling that I didn't have it I, I would never act on it and I would you know abhorrent and but actually having to accept that it exists and it's there yeah I absolutely agree with some of the themes of what Fiona said that I think there's a level of anxiety about getting it wrong Mm. and of not doing it right which even as I say it in my head I go oh man you've got to challenge that language because there isn't right or wrong and I know that but I think because there's a desire to get it right and a recognition of how wrong the world has been and how much me as a person as well as the world has failed to notice this and historically hasn't necessarily done what I look back on or feel good about I think there's an element of that and I think for me personally as well I know there's um, an aspect of I don't quite know how to do it so it makes me feel not necessarily inadequate that's too strong a word but somewhere along that line I don't want to not talk about it altogether though actually I find I do want to talk about it because I've done a lot of thinking about it in the last six seven months more than I ever have before so I think there's a sort of there's an element of um having realized that you've had this privilege that you didn't even notice and that that's sort of fundamentally different to how you thought you were I don't want to 
maybe feel like actually there's an extent to which I'm more similar to the people that I think very little of having to sort of acknowledge that actually there was something I was missing and sort of um, that, you know, it's, it's this, the thing about it's not okay just to be not racist. Mm. It's the have to having to be anti-racist and how did I not notice that? And actually does that make me worse, a worse person? And I think, so there's a sort of element of fear of getting it wrong, but there's also some sort of odd fear of having to acknowledge that I didn't do a good enough job and I don't know why. I think it's that thing of, um, you know, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. And so, like, if you fail to do anything, then then you're accepting that that's what it is. So what we need to be is active in, but it's difficult to have those conversations, I agree. I really like that. Yeah, I think I like having that. conversations around racism, for me particularly, is a bit of an odd one because and I'm never conscious, like when I go about my business, I'm not really mindful that, oh, okay, I'm different, I'm different, I'm different. It's almost until someone says something or does something that reminds me that, oh, okay, seems like I'm getting a different treatment that other people don't necessarily get. So when it comes to conversations around race, uh, it's interesting to, to listen to other people's perspectives, but I think when you go into it uh, with fear, um, but then also with, well, what can I say, like a negative negative goal. When I say negative goal, it, it could be, let's say, okay, I'll have this conversation, but I don't want to uh, minimise it, but I don't, want to over, you know, I, I don't want to overplay it, that kind of a thing. Going into it with a negative goal, with, with a negative mindset, you, you know, you end up achieving a negative goal, Mm-hmm. Uh, and you end up doing the thing that you obviously <laughs> wanting to avoid. Yeah. Um, what could be a better way of uh, approaching is what can I just maybe better understand? Because it could be that maybe I've not experienced racism, but maybe let me talk to someone, to, you know, to see how, how they feel about it. So if, if someone's approached me in that way, where they have an open perspective, where they don't want to put their judgments on, but rather just listen, that would make a world of difference. Yeah, I think. It's really interesting because I have done all the things that you do when you have experienced a lifetime of racism. I've westernized myself. I've hidden my color, made myself as beige as possible. I've got a very westernized accent. I code switch. I do everything possible just not to be noticed, to get on with everyday life because I've got the trauma of the 70s that sits with me forever. So I have been complicit in not being active, in being anti-racist because I've hidden myself. I just want to get on with my life. I just want a quiet life. But every now and then I've raised my head and I've made a noise and I've been shut down by the white majority because in every kind of clinical space I've been in, most of the time, it's a majority white woman space. And if I ever dared to show my ethnicity, it would either be joked about or it would have really been pointed out as a point of difference so I hid it and I hid it and I hid it but then something I couldn't keep quiet anymore and I didn't 
I didn't care if it upset people's niceties because I wasn't saying anything rude. I was just being factual that this is what's going on. And, you know, we're all good people. No one goes intentionally out of their way to be bad people, right? We all want to be good people. But there's something around us, the system, the structures and processes that push out this certain behavior. For me, it was to hide and just, you know, not be noticed or not, not notice that I was of a different ethnicity. And for others, it's just uncomfortable to talk about. And we just stop really thinking it's uncomfortable because we're all a collective. We're, we're part of the human race and we are of different cultures. And when we're curious, we want to ask a question. And when it's done with good atten- intention, that's all it is. It's not, it's not saying anything about your difference. But language is important in that. Language is so important. Don't ask me where I'm from because you're immediately saying I do not belong. Ask me what is my heritage? What is my ethnicity? Because that's what you're seeing, a brown pigment, and you're wondering, you know, what, what is your heritage background? That, that's, that's where I am when I think about it. And I've thought about it a lot, about my complicitness in being a bystander. Let's talk about allyship, because in the LGBT kind of community, there's a kind of thing that you can't declare yourself as an ally. You need to be kind of told by a member of that community you're an ally. And I guess I wondered if, you know, were clearly white people here going, yeah, we're allies, we want to help, we want to help. Is that how people of the BAME community see white people wanting to help as genuine allies? Or, I don't know. I think I would not declare myself an ally. I would declare myself hoping to become an ally, Mm. aiming for allyship, something like that. Sorry, can someone talk me through allyship? Because I'm not too familiar with the term. So an ally is someone that doesn't identify as part of that community, but is supportive of that community, I guess, is like an ally of that community. This might be an unpopular opinion. I'm going to say anyway. So the whole ally thing, um, I think that it shouldn't be made too difficult to be an ally because, like, I just don't want to be racist and I just don't want to be an idiot to people. Do you know what I mean? I just want to see people as people and, and like, I don't really want to jump through a million loopholes to be an ally. Like, I just want to support people and, and that's that. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, so I just, I don't know, I feel like that puts people apart a little bit like if you're thinking that much into it then surely you're making a big difference between people like just why can't people just support people and let people be them and just not be an arse like just support people (laughs) because that's the world isn't it and unfortunately we live in a society that's rubbish yeah exactly i think i've been through this a sort of eye-opening process since since being a teenager and having this sort of idea I can remember being in probably an English lesson and they were talking about um 
feminism and um, positive discrimination. And I was in this, you know, beautifully idealistic world where my perspective was basically, well, that's still discrimination. It might be in the other direction and it might be for a good reason, but it's still discrimination and that's bad. And then I sort of gradually woke up to the concept of, well, but actually, even if you try and make everything as fair as possible, the world isn't achieving equality. And actually, maybe I'm wrong about this. And the rules aren't the same for everyone. You know, now I think I, I have this blind spot that I assume the world is the way it is for me. And, you know, it's, it's the world kicking me at the bum and going, well, no, it's not. And, and there are all these people that have had a much harder life than me through absolutely no good reason whatsoever. And it is not good enough for me to accept the privilege that I got from where I was born and what I look like and my gender and all of that stuff. It, I think actually it's not good enough for me to kind of then just go, oh, well, let's all be fair because I've had it better than that. But I, I kind of also, I, I do see your point, Emma, that you don't want to pressure anyone into have, feeling like they have to go and fight for stuff. Being fair is probably good enough, if that makes sense. But actually, I kind of am at the point where I've recognised that I don't feel comfortable with taking the advantage without recognising it and trying to do some teeny tiny thing about it. Um... You know, if anything, if someone has radical views that um, come across quite, well, not, I don't know about hateful, but radical views that I, I don't agree with, I'm drawn towards having a conversation with that person to understand yeah. maybe, you know, the, what's going on, the thought process, because there could be something underlying. Uh, it could be that they were treated unfairly by a person of a different background or they experienced some kind of trauma. And in, especially when you're young, uh, you can project those views onto other people for the rest of your life um, based on that. So, uh, you know, before I, um, you know, I write someone off, I definitely want to have sort of a conversation where it's like, you know, okay, I see you have views about, you know, Asians or Africans in that way. I mean, why is it? What's 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 really at the heart of it? Of you know, of of your views, but at the same time, uh, I don't want to put people in a position. Personally, I don't want to put people where just like, oh, are you an ally or are you against it? Because end of the day, we're just people. You know, just, we could just go be kind to each other in that way. Um, yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. I just think like if you have that viewpoint, it, it is frustrating because the people that get together to discuss it clearly do care. So it feels as if like you get nowhere when you discuss it because the people that come together to discuss it are all for equality and the people that need <laughs> to discuss it don't turn up to these things. So nothing changes because the good people are chatting about it and the people that don't care are remaining not caring. I'm going to come in and say something that's going to rub you all up the wrong way. Oh no, no, I love it when people do this. You're, you're all very nice people and you all want it to be nice and nice, but the world isn't like that. The world is not nice. And we're, we're not looking for equality or fairness. We're looking for just to live like everybody else. Okay? We want equity. That's what we want in the world. And what I don't want, I don't want to, in a way, if someone's not willing to change, 
why bother? What you want is to get a collective of people <clears throat> who do want to change. Why are you wasting your time talking to people who don't want to change? Leave them because the collective that will change the world, they'll see how it's benefiting people. And that's what it's about. You will only act if you know that it's going to benefit you, that you can feel the change, then you join in. So we've got to make people feel the change. And it's the thing about um, the word ally. The word ally is an active word. If you want to be an ally, then do something. Don't tell me nicely you support me because I don't care about your support. I want to see your actions. Which in lots of ways, I'm just thinking active is almost the key word that I took from that. And that made me think about doing and that made me think about OT. That is it something about the actual doing of this that as ever is the the means and the mechanism of change? <laughs> the difficult question is what's what's the catalyst? What's the action? What can we do without making that divide more obvious? Because we've already said that we don't we don't want to make the divide more obvious and, and make it about them and us and that kind of thing. So what if, if we're wanting to be active and we're wanting to make changes, what is it yeah. that would but be a good thing to do? The question is, what do you want to do? You're a white person in a much better position than I am to create change. So what is it you want to do? I think the problem is, though, like people think they are doing, but maybe what they are doing isn't actually like what yeah. it should be isn't helping. And then people just carry on doing things and it's not helping. How, how will we in know any situation what doing is enough? Yeah. Well, what is the end outcome you want? It's occupational therapy again, isn't it? What's your own purpose? What are you going to measure? <laughs> yeah, and I guess different people, because you're now talking about sort of goals, different people will have a different perspective on what those goals is. So I think for, for me, I'm only just starting out as a newly qualified, but for me, when I'm, say, 10, 15 years down the line, and maybe I could if I make it that far end up being a manager or something like that I would like to see that the people that I employ are diverse and they actually represent the population that they serve but I, I don't know whether that's is is that a good goal with or, or, or not do you know what I mean I, I feel quite lost in these kinds of things because you're right we do all want to do the nice thing and, and do the right thing and be a nice person but it's that real concrete what what can I do what would be useful to do because i feel like Maybe. i don't know you raise an interesting point because it, what you're saying is we have to uh, get attention of people in power and mm. what's the best way to get their attention um from what you say you know when you become a manager and when you reach that, percent, that position of like you know of leadership authority that's where you feel like you can make better change probably that's why it's interesting where where we are right now what can we do to get people in those positions who, who call the shots to, you know, make them understand? And for me, that phrase, what can we do, was something that I actually heard a lot said in the podcast from differing people's perspectives over people saying, I don't necessarily know what I can do at this moment. And other people saying, this is what I think should be done. And there was lots of... Um, I don't know. I just know that on my notes about the podcast, I've got written down where someone said, I feel there's nothing we can do. And my central question is, well, what do we do? But I think 
I'm not saying I've got all the answers in any way, shape or form, but I did go to the Arcot Trent region evening with Rob Neal that was about a path to culture change, which I thought was epic. I thought he was excellent. And one of the things that he started with that I've gone, okay, I can live with that as a framework, is that the path to culture change comes from three different areas. It either comes from policy it, or it comes from heart and values or it comes from something that's fiscally driven and is about the money. I think from both of those, um, from yourself, Ruth, um, and from sort of Angie talking about what can we do, what I'm hearing is that there isn't, there isn't a one thing we can do, that every single one of us, what we can do is potentially different depending on our sphere of influence, depending on our current circumstances, and it's doing something is the key thing so whether that's reading or learning or having a discussion or thinking about our our sort of environment or thinking about how we're going to be in the future where we have more influence but there isn't necessarily one set thing we can do and I really like this idea of not being nice but we do spend a lot of time worrying about how how we can help what could we do can we make you a nice cup of tea and it's that kind of I don't know we have this very kind of if, if we're just polite enough it'll all go away and maybe this isn't a circumstance for that maybe it is just about everybody doing something and the collective ripple of those actions is going is to make a difference mm. I'm going to stop being nice I'm getting that is that idea of it being an occupation sort of thing it's, it's looking at that need to do mm. and that for everybody what that is is going to be different so for some people it might just be a conversation with a colleague at work for other people it might be understanding a client's heritage and sort of trying to incorporate that into the way you do with somebody for others it might be on a more political scale or on a reading up about something how we approach this I suppose what I'm hearing is people asking what do I do and as an OT what I'm saying is you do whatever you feel is meaningful for you but do something because doing is what makes you human and alive, I guess. And I think um, it is as much about how we touch the world around us as much as the wider, bigger world that yeah. it, almost as you're talking, Fiona, it's about what it did in your immediate world as well and what it grew in you and what the ripple that that had whether yeah. it you know like genuinely whether it was your <laughs> people from Leicester standing outside South African embassy that's that would have made some ripple somewhere in your world around the people around you yeah you cared enough about that to do those things and to do that I think as people actually we all get a bit concerned and a bit introspective about wanting to do something that changes the world in a big way and then feel inadequate in which to do it. Whereas actually, if we can just get on with doing the bits we can and trusting the process of how that ripples out, I almost feel that that's easier then to take action and also probably more effective. Uh, I think it's quite scary if you look at the bigger picture because you just feel so small. Yeah. So you look at your next ripple, you look at the next bit in the process, and that's the bit that you focus on. Yeah, I, I think yeah. for me, I often look at my children. So the values that I teach my children will then hopefully yeah. go into the next generation. That's, that's kind of where I take comfort in that I'm hopefully teaching my children to do the right thing.
And Definitely, that's Angie. Yeah, that's huge, isn't it? Do you know what this is? This is San. I can't remember his name. Sanders or Sanderson's uh, four four contexts of influence. That's the ripple. So you have right at the edge of it, the last context is. I think it should be the first, but is the big one, which is mm -hmm. government, politics, yeah. legislature, national institutions like the benefit system, right at that bit is the bit that it's further away from us. And then as we come closer, I think the next one is community. So you're just uh, trying to uh, influence community around you. And I know the... I can't remember the next one, uh, but the, the the first one is what Angie's talking about: family, friendships, yeah. all the all the all the people that you interact with in your day to day existence. That's the other influence you can have, and I've forgotten the other one. But anyway, you get what I mean. And it's and it looks like a ripple. The the yeah. actual construct looks like a ripple. For me, one of the things that actually, Mish, it was you who talked about on the podcast that you um, talked about an article on relational activism, um, which I did go away and link to. And I really liked it. It was, um, for anybody who hasn't read it, it's, it's a very quick and easy read. It's not a very um, academic jargon article at all. It's just accessible. And I've written down it's about using relationships to take action with the aim to compassionately change the bit of the world we can touch. And I it gave three suggestions for how we do this compassionately changing the bit of the world we can touch. But honestly, I thought it was great because I think that's what we've just been talking about. What is it we can do? What are the bits of the world that we can touch? And a lot of it was, was just about being human. Absolutely. Being human, being curious, connecting, thinking about what we're doing and sharing stuff. Maybe people are doing more than they think then, because to me, like all that is, that would just be like second nature. You would do that anyway. And then I'm assuming other people may feel the same and they might feel that they're not doing anything when they are. Yeah. It's that, it's that opening your eyes as well, isn't it? To make sure that you are doing enough of what you could be doing like Kate was saying earlier actually because we haven't experienced it do we truly realize what we could be doing maybe what we should be doing so it's that kind of balance isn't it yes we probably are doing more than we think and we'd be very well maybe doing a lot more than other people do who as Emma said don't engage in this kind of conversation but actually if we if we learn more we probably could see more ways in which we could help and I think that idea of having your eyes opened is actually critical when we touched on thinking about representation and diversity in last time's discussion around gender but it was about diversity and representation in the profession one of the points that Kate said was that actually almost because the profession isn't as diverse as it could be should be and if we think we are nice people and haven't understood the privilege we've got there's a huge blind spot because I think it is about being able to see it if you don't see it it's hard to know where to take action but I think therein lies part of what is what we can do is when you've seen it you can say you've seen it is that kind of like acknowledging that it exists and we're aware of it 
Don't stop there though, do something about it. Do something about it once you've realised it. I guess if you say it out loud, that starts the ripple. And then you change and you do something about it. And that those people that have joined in in that ripple then may see what you've done and do the same. And you end up with a ripple that's twice the size. That's a great image. <laughs> Thank you for listening. There are links in the episode notes for some of the models and ideas we mentioned. Next time, we will be listening to the Lifestyle by Design episode, The Dark Side of Occupation, with Dr. Rebecca Twinley. We hope you can join us then.